comes from Ephesians 1. We'll read the whole of the, the chapter. So Ephesians 1, if you'll stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, And the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished Upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us 
who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So far, the reading of God's holy word, we give thanks for it. You may be seated. And as we come to consider this portion of God's word, uh, let us pray for God's help. Father God, we come before you amazed at who you are and the riches of your power and how, as we read this description of your sovereignty, we see that you use it for grace. You give us this passage about your sovereignty as comfort for your people. And how quickly we turn that sort of thing, into this, this topic, into philosophical speculation. Asking more questions than being comforted by belonging to the God who holds all things in your hands. Tonight, O oh Lord, help us to rejoice that we are in your hands. And that you hold all things together and direct all things according to the purpose of your will. And we're the ones who belong to you in Jesus Christ. And so, we ask that you might help us see him as in our reflections tonight as well. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher. They are significant and we have an important topic before us. Bless the reading and preaching of your word to bring forth fruit in our hearts to love you more and to serve you better. And we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, Sometimes uh, you you hear the question aimed at at kind of uh, wrapping Christians up in this supposedly unsolvable philosophical Problem saying, if God is all powerful, can He make a rock so heavy that even He can't pick it up? I had a college professor, a philosophy professor in college, who who was an atheist, and he liked to ask the same question to us: if if God is all powerful, can He make a burrito so hot that even He can't eat it? Um, And the nature of the question, I think, shows the heart of the asker, in a sense. The, the point of it is to try to make you think that it doesn't make consistent sense for God to be almighty, like our creed says. Seeing that there's supposedly a trap, either way you answer the question. But the answer to the question is actually very easy. Very easy. 
No. God cannot make something that outdoes him. Because God cannot cease to be God. Christians have always understood that God cannot do anything we might imagine. Because the Bible tells us so. God cannot lie. God cannot sin. God cannot condone sin. He cannot do things that conflict with what it means to be God. Because God is God. He is always above and in charge of his creatures and our affairs in creation. Now, my point isn't to give you the answer to a supposed philosophical conundrum. My point is to show that God's sovereignty, that he is almighty, as Christians have always confessed, is connected to who God is. He's the maker of all things, and so he must govern them. We're not meant to play mental games about God's sovereignty, but to bow in admiration and awe before him that he is the Lord of the universe. Now, I understand that God's sovereignty has troubled countless people over the years. It is hard for us to reckon with how God is in control and yet we make decisions without being robots, that sort of thing. It's even harder, perhaps, for us to understand why bad things happen and evil exists in the world when, when God is in absolute control of everything. So I understand that these are vexing questions. And yet we can try so hard to, to untangle difficult questions sometimes that, that we miss the baseline point. I agree with our confession where Westminster 3.8 says, the doctrine of this high mystery is to be handled with special prudence and care so that this doctrine afford, and I think this list is something for us to consider well, so that this doctrine afford matter of praise, reverence, and admiration of God, and of humility, diligence. Maybe underline this one if you have the, that in front of you or turn to it later. And abundant consolation to all who sincerely obey the gospel. This is meant to make us marvel at God to come to new depths of Christian character and to feel safe in the hands of the God who made and redeemed us. And so our considerations of how God is almighty ought to strengthen our love for God and give us comfort and belonging not to some God, but to almighty God. We, we keep walking through the Apostles' Creed, and its first line is taking us uh, several parts to get through. We've seen 
the creed is Trinitarian, structured around the persons of the Father, the Son, and Spirit, drawing connections to the works most associated with each person. And here, under the Father, we see that God is almighty. He's sovereign. And one thing we should note, then, is that, well, the belief in God's sovereignty is a, is a fundamental Christian doctrine. The creed is our most basic statement of faith as believers. And the creed says that God is almighty. Believers of differing traditions will attempt to explain that in different ways. And yet, the creed simply means that no true Christian can deny that God is sovereign. The true God is the sovereign God. And we all bow before him. And our main point tonight is very simple. God's sovereignty provides immense comfort. God's sovereignty provides immense comfort. And so our three points to think about that are sovereignty, strength, and safety. So let's first, let's, let's think about sovereignty, the The creed's first phrase is, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And as we turn to Ephesians 1, we see that we have to take all those aspects of God's identity, well, as a package. They go together. We can't disconnect some of them and leave them to the side. The God who is sovereign is Trinitarian. And it's good for us. That the Father is Almighty. Uh, let's look at Ephesians 1 3 to 6 here with all of this in mind. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, let's think about how this teaching Develops. I want to see that there is a line of thought here that that moves, and it moves in a helpful way if we can map it. God, God, the Father of Jesus Christ, chose us, and so we see why the Apostles' Creed states that I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Immediately, we ought to start seeing why God's sovereignty ought to be. Well, heartwarming rather than philosophically mind-bending or especially even more than frightening. God the Father of Jesus Christ, the loving God, in a fatherly way, chose you to be related to Jesus Christ the Savior. God the Father of Jesus Christ has showered heavenly blessings 
on you. And, and this blessing God, this God who blesses, he is the one who chose you. Uh, there is kind of, at times, it kind of comes and goes, I suppose, but uh, there's this idea of the second blessing in Christian circles, that if you, if you advance from uh, a basic Christian to a, like a really spirit-filled Christian. And, and I think one of the things that, I mean, as we take account of what God has done for us and what God is sovereignly doing for his people, if someone ever asks you the question, uh, or do you have the, the second blessing? You should say yes. And you should probably say, I also have the third. (laughs) At which point, they will be astounded (laughs) and shocked. But you could finish, well, I actually have all the spiritual blessings. It's what Ephesians says. God has already given us everything spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The Father chose us to be blameless in Christ. He would wipe away our sin so that he could look upon us as holy. Motivated by love, he chose us to be joined to Christ so that he would see us as his adopted children. Brothers and sisters of his natural Son, through redemption. This sovereign plan was according to his will for the sake of his praise. When we say God acts for his own glory, isn't it a blessing then? It's good for us. It's it's not something over there. God acts for his glory. And I guess he's also loving. He gets glory as people Praise him. And we praise him because he loved us and saved us. Let's look at verses 11 to 14. In him, meaning Christ, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. God Almighty predestined us for an inheritance according to his sovereign plan. Again, he he works for his praise by showing abundant love to his people. Upon bringing us to faith, God grants us the Holy Spirit as the indwelling guarantee of our salvation. This is an interesting idea that I think we need to unpack a little bit. Um, Sarah and I are, are hoping to 
buy a house in the foreseeable future, plant roots, have some permanence, that sort of thing. One of, one of the things you, you have to do or you have to be ready for as you're looking to buy a house is to have a down payment. It's a, it's a sum of money you pay as the promise that the rest is going to come. It's a guarantee that the full sum will be handed over. And that's what it means here, that the Spirit is given as the guarantee. It's a down payment. Because God chose you, believer, for an everlasting enjoyment of his love, he has given you the Spirit to indwell you. The Spirit is the promise, the down payment, that because new life has begun in you, it will be completed. God can't back out. He's given the down payment. And so God's sovereignty is already wrapped in his identity as Father, Son, and Spirit, the tri Yun God will, from beginning to end, see you to salvation. God's sovereignty is his power to, to love you despite your rebellion against him. God's sovereignty is his authority to, to deal with your sin without sending you to hell, but redeeming you in the Lord Jesus Christ's work. And that brings us to our second point. Strength. We live in an age where power is supposedly a bad thing. We see it all around us. As soon as the news says, oh, this powerful person, you know what's coming. Because powerful people can't be good. Everyone is out to prove they're the victim of somebody because then it shows how somebody misused their authority to get one over on you. And ironically, that, that itself is often a misuse, a misuse of power because it weaponizes victimhood, making victimhood a powerful commodity, which then dilutes the reality, pain, and hardship for real victims. Regardless of the, the cultural games, people are suspicious of power, thinking that it's a, a tool for abuse. But as we've seen here, God's sovereign power is his ability to bring love, to bring salvation and, and redemption where it, well, never would be were he not in complete control. If God were not sovereign, we would never turn from our sins. If God had not chosen us, then we would be left. In our condemnation. And so God's power is the the strength of love. Acting to bring good to those who need it. Even though we don't deserve it. And I think we should reflect on that a moment. as As a route to application in our own lives. So often, I really do think we believe that 
Strength means being the, the biggest, baddest dude on the block who could take everybody out. When I, when I used to go to the gym, which was a while ago, um, it seemed like the guys with the biggest muscles also had the meanest looks on their face. Prowling around. Like they want everybody to be intimidated by their presence. And that is how people think about strength too often. It's a, it's a tool to intimidate people into doing what you want them to do. What is... What does Ephesians 1 say about the effect of God's power? God's sovereignty, God's strength is focused on the distribution of love. The the comfort of his people. Our reassurance of his commitment to us. God Almighty implements his strength to overcome sin, to bring blessing to his people, to ensure that we will receive good things from him and and to guarantee his love for us. So God's strength comforts his people. And so we should highlight that true strength puts those we love at ease. And I think that that's something really to consider. True strength should settle our loved ones and provide a place of comfort, reprieve, and rest. Strength used to intimidate and bully almost always manifests some sort of fear of being inferior or something like that. It's an insecurity, which means intimidation and bullying is more about weakness than real strength. God's sovereignty brings peace upon those whom he loves. And I think we need to consider what it means in whatever capacity we have for authority of any sort of strength. You know, at work, in our families, and in any relationship, to use our strength to put people at ease. We might might instantly be afraid that people might make wrong decisions (laughs) and not do what we want if they're not afraid of us. But what does God do? God God uses his strength for his people to experience his love so to make space for us to make good decisions. Because we couldn't make good decisions if God wasn't strong. We would keep being enslaved to sin and making only bad decisions. God's strong, sovereign love changes us from being disordered, trapped in sin messes into renewed children chosen for holiness. The goodness of God's sovereignty fuels 
our continual renewing, giving us what we need to walk rightly in his love. God's strength puts us at rest, granting our renewal and bestowing confidence and assurance concerning Concerning the God who loves us. That brings us to our final point. Safety. Safety. One of the questions I hear a lot is, uh, if God is sovereign, why pray? And the assumption is that, that prayer is useless if God has already decided how everything in history turns out. And, and my, my response to that is why pray if God isn't sovereign? If God isn't powerful to answer, what are we doing? If God isn't sovereign to act and achieve things beyond our strength, what's the use in asking? And isn't that what Isn't that what happens in Ephesians 1? Paul outlines God's sovereignty in verses 1 to 14. And then what's he do? He prays. For this reason. What reason? All the things I just told you about God being sovereign. For this reason. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. I don't cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. And then telling them what he's asking God to do. That they would know what is, what's kind of the climax of the whole thing, right? Verse 19. Prayer is sort of wrapped into being aware. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Why is he seated there? Because he's in control. Because he's sovereign. So, why pray if God is sovereign? Why pray if he's not? God can hear you and God can reply. And he can do it. And further, I mean, right? If God isn't that powerful as to be able to answer his people's prayer, would he be worthy of our praises? He's just told us repeatedly that he's exercising sovereignty by distributing love and grace to his people for the sake of his praise. His praise is tied up to bringing about his will. If God can't keep his promises, which he couldn't do if he wasn't sovereign, if God couldn't keep his promises, is he trustworthy? And so his praise is again tied right up in that he's sovereign, that he's almighty. And the bottom line, the bottom line is that God's sovereignty undergirds our hope our ability to rejoice at who he is and our ability to be at ease in his hands. Even in the worst 
and most frightening moments of our lives, Christians find rest and comfort because we know that all of our hardship is under God's control. We heard a number of very difficult things in our prayer time. It would be so frightening to face these things if our sovereign God didn't reign over every molecule in the universe. So, we may not be in control. We may not be able to handle things. We may not have the answer to our prayers that we have lifted tonight. But our sovereign God is in control. And he has the answers. And he's able to put them into place. One of the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, Caspar Olivion, said that God's immense power, this is beautiful, I think, ought to encourage us to trust him. The God who calls those things which did not exist into existence. Citing Romans 4. If, If God could make the whole universe when nothing, literally nothing but him was there, If he could do that, then certainly he's powerful enough to stand against whatever troubles you. And so we rejoice to bring our prayers to this God. We can put it another way. God's sovereignty grounds our safety. God can take care of us no matter what comes our way, because he is almighty, because he is sovereign. God ensures that we are safe. The the beautiful thing about being a Christian, right, is that even if you die, you're safe, because God is sovereign, and you belong to him. God has proven his strength. And he has proven his strength to make us safe in the gospel. There is no greater obstacle between us and God's love than our own sin. Our rebellion against God deserves everlasting condemnation. God's love is so strong and so sovereign that he's able... To overcome our sin without undermining his justice. That is how strong our God is. Jesus Christ took the penalty of our sin to reconcile us to God without being undone. Without being kept by the grave forever. In Christ, God nailed the demands of the law to the cross. Removing that condemnation from us. Only a sovereign God could procure salvation for his people. And so in Jesus Christ, we learn to be at ease because nothing comes our way apart from what God wants for us. You may not want it for you, 
But nothing comes our way apart from what God wants for us. And, and apart from what he knows, will work together for our good. However bad things may seem, however daunting the world might be, there is no safer place to be than in the hands of our sovereign God. He has appointed the ends of all things, and he has earned our trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, it's easy to spin tires uh, mentally, debating the ins and outs of human freedom, of the way we make choices, what is free will, how do you respect the liberty of your creatures. We set it aside to praise you that you're in charge of all things. And that means we're safe. And your sovereign love has guaranteed our safety. You've taken us into your hands. You've given us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one can snatch us away from him. And he is the Lord of the universe. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. And he is our great shepherd. The one who feeds, guides, protects, loves his sheep. And so we rejoice to confess. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Cause our hearts to delight in that throughout the week, whatever may come. We ask it for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen.